welcome to Inspiration from the Couch. I'm Avery. I'm Jamie. And I'm Lucy. We are psychologists and moms. Join us as we discuss what we've figured out, what we've yet to figure out, and what there's just no figuring out. It's sure to be fun, and you may be inspired along the way. Welcome. Today, we're going to talk about Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And we're going to kind of just do our little book club session and talk a little bit about the different pearls of wisdom we found out of this book that we really liked and wanted to share. Okay, so let's jump right in. And in the book, Glennon, and it's like I'm on a first name basis with her, which yeah, I think is a little funny. G. Yeah, I would like to be friends with her. But anyway, she talks about these four keys to freedom, and she shares these in her book, right? And so the first key is to feel it all. Right. So what right. comes up for you? So when you hear that, and like, what did you all take away with regards to the key of feel it all? Yeah, that spoke to me a lot because I think I, when I feel overwhelmed by emotion, which is pretty often for me, I really want to numb either by eating or drinking tequila or wine or like watching TV. And so that idea of like busy, 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 yes, busying myself. So the idea of feeling it all really resonated with me. And I think we'll talk about this too, but kind of the separation between feeling it all. And then these other things that she, she considers not feelings like anxiety, depression, other mental illness kind of symptoms. So that's part that really resonated with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so all the things we do not to feel our feelings, correct? right? And we kind of run and hide, but the power in just being able to let it all belong mm. and to make space for all of it. Right, right. What about you, Jamie? I think just the the key when, <laughs> when you read it out, feel it all. It's like, ooh, that's a big task. Right. Like that's... <laughs> That's a lot of things. It's all. That's a, yeah. like a lot. All. <laughs> wow, you're talking about everything. <laughs> all of the things. Yeah, yeah. And so I think my reaction is like, whew, that's, that's a lot. That sounds kind of overwhelming. But it doesn't mean that it has to be everything all the time, all at the same mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that, yes, similar to you, Avery, I mean, there are lots of ways where I can avoid listening to my emotional experiencing, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's, I think for me, most of the time, it's just staying really, really busy and work, work, work. And when I do that, then I don't have to really necessarily be in my body and mm -hmm. feel emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love this analogy that she uses about feelings, hard feelings as being like deliveries, right? So mm -hmm. that they have some information for you. Right. And I have another teacher who talks about feelings as bike messengers. And she talks about how when we distract and we get busy and we avoid, it's like we shove the bike messengers in a closet. Right. Mm. And by noon, we have like 342 bike messengers that are like revolting <laughs> and like knocking down the door. But if we open the door and we say, oh, thank you for the message. Right. And we kind of befriend it like the messenger goes away. Like mm. it just wants to deliver it. And, and often there's wisdom for us in these feelings. So I love that, that idea and how do we kind of befriend our emotions right? rather than having to do all the, the crazy things we do to kind of dodge and stay away from them. And I think also too, this idea that, that when we avoid, we send ourselves the message that somehow there's going to be feeling that we can't tolerate. I do that when I'm, when I'm trying to avoid, it's kind of, if I feel it all, then if I like somehow I'm not equipped to be able to tolerate feeling at all. Mm, and so it kind of does too much. Yes. Yeah, too much. And kind of does this like downward spiral of like, well, if I have to avoid this and then it gets to be even more, well, I really got to avoid that because somehow I'm not going to be able to take it. 
And I love this idea of like feeling it all really does communicate that you'll be able to, to tolerate it. It may be a lot, it may be painful, but there you're able to manage, you're able to experience that. It won't be the thing that takes you down. And that's one of the things she alludes to, too, this distinction. And you hear it, especially in a lot of Buddhist philosophy, right? The distinction between pain and suffering. Yeah. What comes up for y'all when you, or how would you describe that or define that? Mm. For me, I think pain is just the natural part of life, right? Mm. I mean, it's just something that we're all going to experience. We're because all we're human. human. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, we're human beings. You can't really escape it. And it's actually a protective thing, mm-hmm. you know, for those that are diagnosed and I can't remember the name of the condition where they can't feel pain. They mm. don't, those individuals who have that particular neurological disorder don't live as long. They have lots of injuries, lots of issues, unfortunately, that go on. So pain is a, it's a protective thing. It gives us a lot of really good information, like you were saying, Lucy, and, and suffering is everything that we do to avoid that Mm. pain, right? It's everything that we do to numb out, distract, busy ourselves, all the stories that we tell ourselves about pain and how we can't handle it and all of these different things. And it really just kind of compounds actually Mm. layers on and adds on to our experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I had a recent medical event that was painful, but I was talking to my husband about it and it was basically, we had to have a surgery. And so he talked about, he said, really the surgery is fine. And the pain is really fine. It's this time. It was, he was talking about the time before the surgery, the two weeks, that was the worst. And that, that I really think, cause there was no pain in that two week of weight. It would, that was just suffering it was, that mm-hmm. was the pure suffering. And the pain was so separate from that. That was all physical pain. I think we're talking a lot about emotional pain too, but, but they are very separate. I think pain is like, you are going to have pain. It's part of life. Suffering is something that feels a little bit more um, optional. 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 Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So along the idea of feeling it all too, do y'all have clients who come in and when you're talking about goals for therapy, I'm always struck with how often the goal can be like, I want to be happy. Right. And I love, I would love that as well. But I think that that goal is a setup, right? So this belief that I should be able to achieve a state of happiness, we set ourselves up to be continually disappointed because I don't think it's very realistic. Mm -mm. So quite often we'll talk about how do we reframe that goal to something that is more reasonable that can actually happen. So like, how do I live with more peace and ease? Right. Mm -hmm. Like how do I have less depression or anxiety, right? right? How do I be more present? How do I tolerate the pain that does happen? Right. Exactly. Because I I think that when we either want to be happy or when we want to avoid all pain, it is a setup because it's, of course, that's impossible, right? And so we're kind of playing on this like defense mode all the time when really, if we just feel it, sometimes that's actually so much less painful than the suffering, right? Like just letting yourself feel it can be a a less unpleasant experience than the trying to avoid it. Yeah, because one of my favorite analogies is feelings are like waves, Mm -hmm. right? And some are really big and heavy and hard, but they they crash and they come up and then they go away, Mm -hmm. right? And so letting them run their course. Um, Yeah. Okay, anything else about the first key, feeling at all? 
has to do with our emotions. Lucy, where she talks about the anxiety and depression, not being feelings. She talks about that later in the book, but I think it can tie into that. Yeah. She talks about, and this is kind of a quote from her book later on where she, she talks about anxiety and depression as being invaders, right? She says, anxiety and depression are not feelings. Feelings return me to myself. Then a few sentences later, she says, mental illness makes me miss my own life. Right. Right. So I think that separateness from feeling it all, and certainly that that's part of being human and and surviving and thriving, but that there are points where feelings are so, like to talk about the wave analogy, they drown us, they can drown us. And that that's a, that's a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the second key is to be still and know. Right. And this taps into to intuition, right? Mm-hmm. And actually in our podcast, our fourth one was on something called wise mind, which is really like intuition or knowing. Mm-hmm. So what comes up for y'all when you think about this being still and knowing? Mm. It's easier said than done, mm. right? I mean, to just stop and take stock of what's going on and tune in and listen rather than all of the other noisiness and chatter and all of the other things that we're faced with all the time, listening to stories or other people or the media or whoever, you know, we can get really caught up in that and thinking that other people maybe know our experiences better than we do. And she talks about that. And I love Mm -hmm. this in the book, the way she describes it is she does like the poll and research strategy, Mm -hmm. right? So like, should I stay in my marriage? Right. So let me Google that. Right. right? Look right. online. <laughs> let me like someone else who talks about this idea of you, you want to know your temperature, but you put the thermometer in everyone else's mouth yeah, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> to like tell your own temperature. So like, where do we pull and research things and look outside externally versus mm-hmm. coming within? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that resonates so much with me that be still and know kind of communicates that like, all you really need to be able to know is to be still. You yeah. don't have to pull. I think she even says this, that it's not ask everybody. It's not ask Lucy and ask Jamie and ask, I mean, like, it's being still that that's where the knowing comes from versus external right. or the busyness or the right. asking the polling. Yeah. And I really, I love this chapter because I think she does such a beautiful job of almost giving a step-by-step mm. blueprint for how you go about doing this. Because um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes it can be really confusing, right? And she kind of walks you through her process <laughs> of like sitting in her closet each day. And then she'd make to-do lists at first right. and how that shifted. And she describes it as almost like this sinking, this like dropping down into the body. And you get to this layer that is like calmer and stiller. And she describes it almost, you like ask a question and then you get like a nudge. And the nudge points you to the next right thing. And so I think that this is a really great thing to to recognize, too, is that the nudge doesn't give you the next 432 steps. It doesn't give you a five-year plan. It's just that next step. So it's this process of continually tuning in, getting the next step, trusting it, acting in accordance, and then like tuning back in. Repeat. Right, right. And I love this because our bodies only exist in the present. And so we can't actually, it's like physically impossible to get intuition about something that that's not right now. And I just love this idea of really setting up those boundaries of, okay, I can show up and check in right now. And in five minutes, even if I need to show up and check in again, maybe things have changed and maybe the next step becomes clear there that I don't, it's not my job to show up for myself today and make the next week's plans. And so I like that, that it's kind of a continual conversation between body and, and that knowing that stillness. Yeah. 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 Like expecting something small mm-hmm. rather than kind of this huge, you know, right. email right. <laughs> right. plan. And she talks about too in this that, that our bodies are really wise and that our minds often try to talk us out of what our body knows <laughs> and to really trust our body instead. 
Yeah. One of the quotes that she has it and is about kind of she's been separate from her body for a while and then she gets back in her body and she's like, no wonder I left. It's itchy and right. scary and right. it's like fear wrapped in skin. And yeah. I think that a lot of us have that experience that we have been separate from our bodies for so long and like it can be hard to come back in. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I love about this book more generally is she she uses such essential language Right. I had to laugh a little bit. I've gotten very into reminders. I've realized I have things I know I want to be working on or attending to, and I just forget, right? Like mm-hmm. life just gets busy and I forget. And so I, I had this like little sticker made to go on the back of my phone that has some principles of self-compassion, but I'm laughing because it has like a million words on it. And I'm almost like, how many like things can I condense into this little <laughs> sticker where I'm laughing? She talks about getting a tattoo that just says, be still, mm-hmm. right? And so I love how she just has these kernels, these core little nuggets. Boils it down for us. Exactly. Exactly. Which is lovely. It is. It is. Um, So key number three is dare to imagine. So where are y'all with your imaginations and what did you think about her writing on this? Yeah. This dare to imagine idea is it's creative and it's kind of open and spacious. And I think I get very caught in the routine, the day by day. I like I'm a creature of habit. I like things to kind of be very predictable and very reliable. And I think to a certain extent that serves me. I don't I don't know that that's all bad, but I definitely think that that can get me very rigid and kind of very repetitive. And so this even idea of imagination or as she talks about kind of like visualizing what would be even more beautiful, even more true and beautiful true and beautiful. And and I think that that routine is not typically the first thing that comes to mind when I think of true and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not really what you imagine, right? I mean, you're not. You know. <laughs> that's really funny. No, that's not. I mean, and I love her quote. It's on page 66 of the book, just right at the top. It says, imagination is not where we go to escape reality, but where we go to remember it. Yeah. I really like that quote a lot, you know, that maybe this was the original plan for our lives was, was something bigger. And like you were saying, Avery, more beautiful, more terrific, more fabulous than mm-hmm. maybe the routines that we have going right now. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people confuse imagination and imagining things with escapism, mm. you know, that we're escaping reality. When, like imaginary versus imagination. Like right. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. And so, yeah, I, I think that to me, all of the great plans that we can come up with, the really fun things, the really inspiring sorts of things. I mean, it comes from our imagination, not from going and doing 15 errands in a day. Mm-hmm. Or the Probably. prescriptions that we get in our yeah. life. It doesn't so much come from that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she asked this question of like, what is true and beautiful? Like, so if you could envision the most true and beautiful marriage or life or career, like, how would that look? And she encourages people to put pen to paper and write it down. Have either of you done that? I printed it out and uh-huh. I put it in my journal. <laughs> but I, so that's how as far as we've gotten yeah. on that. I'll circle back and let you know. Yeah. But I haven't, I have not, I was like, ooh, this is a great idea that I have not executed yet. <laughs> what about you, Jamie? So Robert and I talk and imagine all the time. Mm. Like we imagine all the time about things that we want to do anticipating different sorts of experiences that we want to create. And 
I'm really happy to say that we've been able to implement several things that we've wanted to do for a long time. And I really, I love having a partner where mm. we can sit around and imagine what mm. our our future life is going to be. Mm. Near future, say within the next six months to a year to down the road, when we retire, what we want to do. And we've been able to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful for that, to have such a supportive partner who thinks similarly to how I do. I love that. It'd be a really cool conversation, right? Mm -hmm. To like imagine within yourself, but also Mm -hmm. conversation and connection with with someone else. Mm -hmm. The other thing she mentions in this section that I liked is that discontent is the nagging of the imagination, Mm. right? So it's almost like the imagination whispering, like not this, Mm. right? And so using our discontent as a kind of like a, a curiosity or something that points us in the right direction to kind of start to notice this. Um, Right. I think this is one of the things I get concerned about when people, as you were mentioning before, Lucy, come into therapy wanting to be happy is that sometimes, I mean, certainly we all want to be happy, but sometimes I think we can get into this game where we're trying to like quash all of the discontent and it's meaningful. I mean, that's mm -hmm. where it's valuable. It's communicative. It helps us to understand Maybe what needs to be different, what needs to change. It's it's a motivator. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then the fourth key, just to close that part up, is to build and burn. Mm. I think this connects to courage. And she talks about holding on to nothing but the truth and that building and creating the true and the beautiful really means destruction of the good enough, which I love because sometimes it's very easy to get complacent <sighs> yeah. with good enough. Mm-hmm. For sure. That routine thing we were kind of talking about, that kind of just survival versus thriving kind of idea that it, it is easy to get caught into that in that this is fine. It's fine. And to realize that there's this thing that you can imagine that would be so much bigger and better than that. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about this particular chapter is her speaking to women and defining selflessness as this pinnacle Mm. of womanhood, motherhood, parenthood, whatever you want to call it. And that there have just been hundreds, thousands, millions of women who just abandon themselves thinking that this is sort of how I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed Mm. to be kind of this martyr and this example for my children to give up myself, my dreams, Mm. what it is that I know that's, that's true for me, my identity in order to funnel all of my energy into everyone else. Mm. When actually what we need to do is, is be the exact opposite of that. What are your thoughts on that? So like women who are full of themselves. Yeah. She talks about it Mm -hmm. in the sense of really Mm -hmm. filled to the brim with their self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And, and I'll say that, I mean, I'm just, this is on a very like micro level, but like with my relationship with my daughter, I can tell, like, I am living more into myself right now, doing this podcast, doing this other project. I've talked about resilience connection and one, she's proud of me in a way that I think she's not proud of me for just going through the motions all the time. And I, I can feel her looking up to me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can feel her seeing that this is available. And that modeling, I mean, certainly I I do a lot of things wrong, but I feel like that's one thing that I'm like, wow, that is, that is a story I used to tell myself is that I needed to put myself last to be a good mom or her first. And I'm realizing that I'm kind of burning that down. I think right now that certainly we need to be present. We need to be available. I'm not saying that, but I think that 
it's been a very interesting, different time that really resonated with me that what we model is a lot more kind of what our children live into than maybe even what we do. And I think she kind of mentions that too, that if we model that being a woman is, or being a person is living into your own truth and doing what your own things that light you on fire, like what a wonderful thing to model versus the person that just kind of hides herself in a corner. Yeah. We don't need to be small. We don't need to get small. And, you know, I think doing things for ourselves is so extremely important. I mean, doing things, finding things that fill our, our cups, Mm. you know, so that way we can be more available to everybody around us. I mean, you know, I've throughout the years have gotten, a lot of crap for going to Disney actually in vacation. <laughs> I'll quite honestly, you know, as much as I do and I ignore that, you know, okay. I've heard comments, you know, like, Oh, you're abandoning your kids to go and, you know, frolic <laughs> in Disney. And I'm like, I'm not abandoning them. I'm living my life and, mm-hmm. and refilling my cup so that I can come back and be a more present individual, be able to give myself to my family, sure. my clients, you know, and it was so sweet. I got back from, this last trip at last night actually and looked at my mirror because I've been you know writing kind of like inspirational sorts of love notes to myself and Robert had written how much he missed me Max had written how much he loved me and then Grace wrote you are amazing (laughs) which is like so incredibly Uh. sweet so incredibly sweet oh i love that yeah so i mean it was like such a nice sweet like surprise like makes me tearful you know thinking about it but that's really important and so important and i think us modeling you know what we need to do Mm -hmm. for ourselves is just the best thing that we can do you know Mm -hmm. for our kids for our families Mm -hmm. yeah what a perfect segue into i think the other thing that really struck me about this book especially as parents as we all are moms is she has a lot of helpful nuggets or pearls of wisdom right about parenting. And so I'm curious mm. if there are any highlights from what you took away from the book around that. I know there's this one piece about being a role model as a mom mm-hmm. and not shrinking or disappearing or getting caught in that belief that to be a good mom means to sacrifice oneself. What else was there? She talks about kind of trying to foster that knowing in your children. And I think that that's that's tough. I think sometimes, cause it's on one hand, there are some things just being on the planet for 43 years. I do know better than my 11 year old, almost 12 year old and trying to kind of walk that line between, Nope, this is a time we're going to use my frontal lobe to help us versus this is a time that it really makes so much more sense to listen to your knowing and trying to cultivate that intentionally, I think is it's a challenge. I think it's, it's something that we just have to be mindful, yeah. mindful of. Yeah. That. Jamie, what about for you? I think the quote that has affected me the the most, and I highlighted it, and I think have read it to clients, have actually read it to my students, is where she said, a woman becomes a responsible parent when she stops being an obedient daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I want my children, particularly Grace, but both Grace and Max, I, I want them to have minds of their own. I don't want them to be raised as just sort of like these obedient little robots who can't Mm -hmm. think for themselves. Mm -hmm. And actually when I I read that, it made me kind of reflect on where Grace is and she's becoming a teenager. And it actually kind of makes me a little bit excited Uh to have her, to see her sort of like come back and express her own opinion, express dissent, a disagreement with me, with Robert. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
that idea of being more of like a, tre- was it a treasure map parent that mm-hmm. she talks she about? She said she contrasts like an expectation parent versus a treasure hunt parent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. An yeah. expectation parent has these expectations. Like I want my kid to do this and here's what's going to be best for them. And we've decided where mm-hmm. a treasure hunt parent continues to ask the child directly, indirectly, like, who are you? Yeah. Who are you? And who are you now? Right. And show me who you are and like delights in what they show you and them discovering themselves, which is cool. There were two kind of vignettes that she shared with regards to parenting that were really powerful for me. One was she's relaying a conversation she has with, with one of her daughters about if given the choice between disappointing other people and disappointing yourself, your job is to disappoint other people every time or mm-hmm. as many times as it takes to not disappoint yourself. And the daughter responded, well, what about you, mom? Like with regards to you. And she's like, especially with regards to me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of how do we, cause I think so often we put others before ourselves and mm-hmm. would prefer to disappoint ourselves versus others. And so how do we get clear on that? Mm-hmm. So I love that. And then the other part where she relays some stories about her son and his technology use and how she had this knowing as a parent that it was just too much and he was disappearing into the cyber world instead of being present in his brain and his heart and his body, like in the present. And so having to kind of set some boundaries and revisiting that. And I love how she describes her conversation with him Mm. around that. I think technology is a really hot button for me and it's easy for me to want rules and rigid guidelines. And so I love this sense of how do you just tune into what you know as a parent to Mm. be true and that our goal is to keep our kids human, not happy is what she says. And I love that idea. I think she even talks also too about trying to keep our kids too happy can kind of like be a disservice that if we do too much or try to make them too comfortable, like we kind of rob them of that opportunity to kind of manage their own happiness or their lives, that kind of thing. Resilience. Exactly. Anything else about the parenting that stands out? Buy the book. Buy the book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a fabulous book and it's very readable and she's Mm. funny. Mm -hmm. So it's very like entertaining. The chapters are really small, so it's digestible. And so if we were going to, to wrap this up or do try this at home, what's one nugget that each of you might share? I can go first. Like for me, I think it's probably the be still and know. That's probably, Mm. I think the most powerful idea. And if it's not that, like if if there's anything else we talked about today that jumps out at you, how Uh. do you sit with just that and really yeah. like lean into it in your life. I think for me, it's probably that, that feel it all. And I, I think that really resonates and that idea of not numbing, but feeling it and really experiencing it all. I think that's resonates with me the most. Awesome. Jamie, what about for you? And probably for me, because it's something that I try to incorporate all the time is the whole chapter on the the third key on, on daring to, imagine that Mm. not just simply sitting with the status quo, really going inward and questioning and thinking, you know, what is sort of the most absolute fantastical thing that I can imagine for myself, for my life, and really tuning into that and then thinking about how am I going to get there? Mm. That one is hardest for me. I do that one least. So I think I'm going to have to like be intentional on trying to do that more. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that'll do it for today. Thank you all so much for joining us and we will look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Subscribe to Inspiration from the Couch wherever you access your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. Visit us on our website at inspirationfromthecouch.com. Inspiration from the Couch.